to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, this is the fifth in our Foundations series, uh, really looking at the sort of building blocks of, of, of faith and community. Uh, and working through the book of Acts together. So it's, uh, it's been an exciting journey so far. And today we're thinking about the power of the gospel to change lives. And so we're going to look at one of the most thrilling dramas uh, in all of scripture together today. Uh, we're going to read the, the story in two installments, and then my message is going to be kind of the commercial break in the middle. Uh, so we're going to start with Acts 9, verses uh, 1 to 9. You, you know that Saul uh, is, um, becomes Paul, who writes you know, half of the New Testament, and uh, this is his story. And it's, of course, entered... Um, the popular imagination. We talk about a road to Damascus conversion and so on. Well, this is the original. So uh, let's stand together, shall we, out of reverence for the reading of God's word, if we're able to do so. Acts 9, verses 1 uh, to 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. You know that uh, Christians weren't called Christians yet. Christian was just a nickname that emerged, but uh, you or I would have been known as followers of the way. And uh, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anybody. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. And we'll come on to that in a moment. Please do be seated. At the heart of our Christian faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a living encounter with Jesus that we uh, talk about as conversion. Conversion to Jesus Christ is at the center of the book of Acts. Clearly here we have an extraordinary moment of conversion. Saul becoming Paul, a murderous uh, zealot persecuting Christians is about to become one. But then if you jump from Acts 9 to Acts chapter 10, you have another equally dramatic conversion, which is Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a Gentile. And Peter, through a supernatural dream, 
uh, is sent to his house, enters his house, shouldn't have done that as a, as a Jew, preaches the gospel, and this Gentile household gets saved, filled with the Spirit, and Peter thinks, I guess we'd better baptize them. And, and then the church in Jerusalem is saying, what on earth are you doing? We thought this was just a faith for Jews, a renewal movement within Judaism. Is this for the whole world? Pretty significant conversion. Jump to Acts chapter 19, and you've got another dramatic moment of conversion. In fact, so many people have been converted in Ephesus that they have uh, burnt their occultic books, their sorcery, paraphernalia, and there's been a great bonfire of all this dark stuff, and it has rocked the economy of the city because the economy was clearly built around all kinds of corruption. Weird and primitive, you think, and then you think about the modern world and go, our entire economy is built around all sorts of corruption. Was it the biggest international trade is arms, and then after that, illegal trade is human trafficking, and we haven't talked about pornography and drugs. And so the, 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 the economy of Ephesus is shaken by so many people getting saved, and there's a riot stir, stirred up against Saul. Again and again, like a big bass drum, a kettle drum, striking through the book of Acts. Conversion, conversion, conversion. God breaking into lives in different ways. And for some people, it is the Damascus Road. It's dramatic, supernatural. And for some, it's the Emmaus Road. It's a little slower and gentler, but no less supernatural. You'll have your own story, I'm sure. Every Christian has a story of how God first broke into their life, how he revealed himself to them, how he saved them from their sin, the mess they were making of their lives, and how he set them off in a completely new direction. It's life-changing. It's world-changing. Just two nights ago, I was eating in a restaurant, and... Um, uh, with some friends, and a, a guy happened to come into the restaurant who we knew. And um, so we said, oh, hello, nice to see you. And he ended up putting up a chair and joining us and having a couple of drinks. And at the end of the evening, the manager, the owner of the restaurant said, how did you know that guy? And if I'm honest, I could easily at that point, and I was tempted to do so just to sort of say, Oh, it's a friend from a charity I'm involved with because it's someone who's on the board of one of the charities. And I thought, no, I'm trying my best because I was challenged in the week about this by David Yegnazar, who's going to share with us in just a moment. I want to create more opportunities to share my faith. So I said, oh, we are Christians. He's a Christian. I'm a Christian. We do some stuff together because we're Christians. And oh, by the way, do you know I'm a pastor? I just thought, let's, let's, let's see what happens. And the most wonderful thing happened. The manager goes over to the door. He locks it. We're inside. <laughs> and he goes, and forgive me here. Some of you have non-Christian friends. You know, they don't always speak politely. He goes, I effing, but he didn't say effing. I effing love theology. <laughs> and he, without being invited, pulled up a chair, poured himself a generous measure kicked back and began to hell forth on his views and his life experience and the brokenness in his life. And then uh, several of us got to share our testimonies, our stories of conversion, and, the, the, and it went brilliantly. And then we gave him a lift home afterwards. And, 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 and he's invited himself around for coffee. So 
It's not the end of the story, but do you understand? Just this, we've all got a story of God breaking into our lives. And one of the people at the table, his story was, well, my mom was a Christian and her parents were Christians and it's been going on forever, but actually, you know, I've been prayed for and I've believed. And, 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 and then the next person had a very, very dramatic story of God breaking into their life from a completely non-Christian background, but both powerful stories. You know, people are, you're never going to read this in, in the press, but people are coming to know Jesus all the time, all around you. Uh, let me just give you a few examples from uh, recent days. Last Tuesday, the celebrity tattoo and makeup artist Kat Von D, I'm sure you're familiar with her, uh, posted a video on Instagram to her 9.4 million followers of her getting baptized. And uh, she had previously worried everyone when she uh, shared that she had decided to throw away all her occult books, saying, it is clear to me that there is a spiritual battle taking place, and I want to surround myself and my family with love and light. Welcome to the family, Kat Von D. And then uh, many of you will have come across this one, but it's been incredibly moving in recent uh, months to see the spiritual journey that the godfather of goth rock, Nick Cave, has been on. Here's a man who is renowned for being miserable and dark and, and, and cross with everyone and everything, um, and following the absolute tragedy of one of his sons dying. Something happened in his heart. And he writes in his best-selling book, Faith, Hope, and Courage, he writes this. It's very moving. but He doesn't use Christian cliches. But hear the posture of his heart. He says, stepping into a church, listening to religious thinkers, reading scripture, sitting in silence, meditating, praying. All these religious activities have eased the way back into the world for me. Those who discount them as falsities or superstitious nonsense or worse, a collective mental feebleness, are clearly made of sterner stuff than me. I grabbed at anything I could get my hands on, he said. And since doing so, I have never let go. Isn't that beautiful? What a journey. Very public. And then the next one you can see on the screens there is uh, Dr. Sarah Salviander. Now, she's an astrophysicist where Nick Cave has come to faith through tragedy. She came to faith through her intellect. She writes this, as an astrophysicist, I first came to recognize God through the design and sheer awesomeness of the universe. Then she says, but the more I learn about biology, particularly of human beings, the more I stand amazed. Galaxies are incredible and awesome structures. And she then actually explains how she could make a galaxy, and I didn't quite understand that, but she said, she seemed to say it's quite easy. Anyway. Um, galaxy incredible and awesome structures but in terms of complexity and design they don't even come close to the awesomeness of a single human body which is its own biological universe of unbelievable complexity and purpose and she explains she's not able to make a human body you'll be relieved to hear the next one there 
is Paul Kingsnorth, an award-winning novelist, a leading eco-terrorist, a former Wiccan druid who has encountered the living Jesus Christ, has fully become a follower of Jesus, is totally bewildered by the whole thing, but speaking articulately and eloquently and confidently about it in the public space, much to the consternation of the chattering classes. All around the world, people are encountering the living Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road or the Emmaus Road. And I want you, I have one aim in this talk, and it is this. I want every single one of you here who knows Jesus, every single person listening online, to walk an inch taller, knowing that the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life is powerful And you must, and I'm going to say it that strongly, you must see it as your duty to share your faith regularly with all those who will listen. And in my own life, I realized I had backed off doing that. I'm just being honest with you. I'm confessing. I used to be very zealous in evangelism. And then I think I saw some extremes. I saw people, frankly, just being rude in the way they did it. And I just thought, I've got to be all really nice and really sensitive. It's relational. It's a long game. Three and a half years, and I might get them to a pastor supper with Nicky Gumbel's poodle. You know, it's like, it's like slow, 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 slow. And, and I've just been challenged. I need to speak up a little bit more. Anyone else feeling a little challenged around that? Okay, I just, that, this, is my, this is my job. I've got the scriptures. The gospel works. The world is going to hell in a handcart. We know Jesus. If we don't pray for people and talk about him, the world is damned. Is that a little too dramatic? Theologically, Johannes says it is a bit dramatic, but there we go. So, um, I'm, I, I, listen, I, I've talked about celebrities. And then the Apostle Paul, you're like, well, he's the Apostle Paul. Of course, he had a dramatic conversion story. So let's come a bit close to home. So first of all, David. David, you've got a lot. David's, every time you see David Yegnazar, ask him for his latest story. Because as you know, David works serving the church in Iran. And there's so many wonderful stories. But here's just one of the latest. So the story is a lady called Mariam is, we call her Mariam, is married to a man called Ali. Ali lives in a city in Iran and is a senior police officer in a feared local police force that have at the heart of a lot of injustice. But somebody gives the gospel, shares the gospel, shares Jesus with Mariam. She becomes a believer, and uh, she begins to grow, joins the local house church, and Ali, her husband, begins to see that she changes a lot. And so she's, he's interested. So she says to her house church, can I share the gospel with him? And they say, probably, I suppose so. So she shares with him, and she reports back to them that her husband, the police, this feared policeman, has become a believer. And they have a debate. Can he join the house church or not? And for some time, they don't let him because they're afraid of him, just like they were afraid of Paul and um, or Saul. And so... Anyway, slowly, slowly, he was allowed to join the house church. They were terrified. Then they decided they were going to go away for a few days to pray to another place, to another city, to pray, to study the Bible, and maybe to go out in the streets and witness. And so they asked the leader, can we bring Ali along? And there was a debate, can he come with us? And so finally they let him, and they go, and they're praying. And Ali, this policeman who is been harsh to so many people, joins them, and one day they're going to go out to share the gospel on the streets, 
And Ali says, uh, again, he's like, should I go? I'm a policeman. I'm going to go on the streets and share Jesus with people in this other city. And he says, I'll come. But you know what? I'm the one who's supposed to be arresting the people doing this, but now I'm joining them. And so just another story to show that Jesus is changing lives. Wonderful, isn't it? Not, not, not that different from the story we just read from the New Testament, right? A persecutor becoming a follower of the way. Now, the next little uh, story I want to share is my personal favorite. I am biased uh, enormously. But um, some of you will have heard my wife Sammy's testimony of conversion before and of how really her whole extended family came to know Jesus uh, but I am biased. It's, it's, it's obviously, I don't know if we'd ever have met if she hadn't come to know Jesus. Uh, here's our, one of our sons, Danny, give us a wave. Worshipping the Lord. Family trees get changed when people say yes to Jesus. And so um, if you've heard this story before, you won't mind hearing it again. Others, uh, have a listen. Um, I, I know you think Sammy like, is super confident, but she's actually really nervous about sharing this. So, Sammy. Oh, thank you. So, as Pete said, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. In fact, it was as a result of one member of my family becoming a Christian. And then through a series of miracles that one by one, the Lord moved in a miraculous and wonderful way through our family um, and changed our destiny forever. So I do want to share this with you, even though I am nervous, um, because I do think um, it is worth telling our testimonies. So when I was about 16, my cousin phoned us up, really excited with the news that she'd become a Christian and that she was getting married. Now, normally that would be really great news and people would be really excited, but we weren't Christians, and so we didn't really um, have a kind of mindset for that. So we were kind of, um, well, okay, this is great, but you've become a Christian. Have you joined a cult? What does this mean? So great, you're getting married, but <laughs> what are you telling us? Um, but then she asked my sister to become to be a bridesmaid and uh, to go down for a, a dress fitting. Now, the other thing is that my sister was heavily involved in the occult at the time. And my sister never did anything without uh, cons first consulting her spirit guide. And so we, th conversely, thought this was absolutely fine and totally normal. And so she did this, and her spirit guide said, if you go to Chichester, where her, the dress fitting was, you'll die. And so, obviously, this panicked us, and so none of us wanted her to go. None of us were happy with us doing this. So she decided there's no way she'll go. So for a long time, she put off doing this. She wasn't going to go for the dress fitting. She wasn't going to be a, brides a bridesmaid. However... Bizarrely, she decided, no, I'm going to take my life into my hands. I want to be a bridesmaid. I'm going to go. So she decided to go. And um, 
so the day of the dress fitting, or the weekend of the dress fitting, she decided she was going, and everywhere she went, every corner that she was going, every corner she turned, she thought, there's going to be a bus, I'm going to be run over, um, the car, this car's going to take me out, but nothing happened. In fact, the whole weekend she was there was the most wonderful, wonderful weekend. She had the best time, and the last day was a Sunday, and uh, she was going to leave, but my cousin said to her, you know, before you go, I'd love it if you come to church with me. And so she thought, well, it's been a really brilliant time. You know, I guess I could go to church. Won't be a problem. So she went to church, and there she heard the gospel preached. And it wasn't just the gospel. The guy that was preaching it gave a, a preach about the occult, and talked about the dangers of the occult, and then talked about giving your life to Jesus. And at that moment, my sister gave her life to Jesus and was prayed for to be set free from the occult. Now, when she got home, there was a guy there that had a spiritual connection with her, waiting for her, saying, what happened to you at 12 o'clock? Because at that moment, I lost my connection with you. It was like I thought you died. And at that moment, my sister became this sold-out evangelist for Jesus. And she had her sights set on me. She was like, yeah, my sister's coming next. <laughs> now, as a young teenager, I'd found home life really difficult. Um, I'd never felt good enough for my mum or dad. There'd been constant arguments at home. And so as a result, I'd spent most of my time out with friends or at pubs. And at 13, I was dating a barman because I looked 18 and I could get my friends the drinks. <laughs> I was never serious with the boys I dated because deep down, I just didn't believe in love. I thought that all love meant was something like lust or control, and that love was a feeling that just couldn't be trusted. I started two-timing, because as soon as someone told me they loved me, it was the word I just least wanted to hear. So I'd stop seeing them so much, I'd sort of relegate them, because I didn't want to split up with them, and I didn't want to hurt them, but I didn't want them so close to me. So I'd sort of Stop seeing them as much, but if someone else asked me out, I'd say yes to them, thinking that I was still in control. And the problem with that was, by the time I was 17, I was seven-timing. <laughs> so, for my 17th birthday, my sister, evangelist, decided the best birthday present she could buy me was tickets to this Christian concert that was a bit like the big church day out of its day. So I had to go. It was my birthday present. That was all I had. <laughs> Brilliant. But so at the end of this concert, um, someone gave this, what I thought was an announcement saying, if you've enjoyed it today and you'd like to come and get tickets for more events like it, come to the front. What they were actually saying was, if you'd like to become a Christian, come to the front, we'll pray for you. <laughs> so... 
I went forward, suddenly found myself being prayed for. My sister, really excited, saying, yay, you've become a Christian. I didn't want to upset her. So I said, yes, and became a false Christian. Yeah. She then invited me a few months later to a church. Assuming I was a Christian, I said yes and went along trying to make sure she was happy and trying to make everyone believe I was a Christian and trying to play this false Christian card. And we sat at the back and I thought everything was happy. And then suddenly this lady got up to the front and had what I thought was just this crazy and amazing thing happened to her, but what I now know was a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. And she said, there's someone here, and you've said that you're a Christian, but you just don't know Jesus. And I'd love to pray with you to come to know him and to find him. And it was like electricity went all the way through my body. But I thought, I can't go to the front because that'll tell my sister I'm not a Christian. So I just stayed in my seat. And then she did what this lady did, what I've never seen anyone do. Again, she's so brave. She went up again and said that same thing again. There's someone here. You've said you are a Christian, but you just don't know Jesus. And I'd love to pray with you to find him, to get to know him. And I thought, this lady's never going to stop unless I go and see her. So I thought, I'm just going to have to go. So I went up, and she prayed with me. And I've never felt such love as I felt when she prayed for me. And I knew what love was at that moment as she prayed for me. So she prayed for me to know Jesus and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've never looked back. And it didn't just change me. My mum then went on to become a Christian a few weeks later. Then my dad. Then my aunt. Then my uncle. My, Christ, my cousins have become Christians. My grandparents then became Christians before they died. The Lord did something wonderful. Tangibly changed my family and my family's history and destiny forever, and I'm forever grateful. I've got one, I'm married to one man, <laughs> and I have a fabulous <laughs> family. Thank you. It's such a relief I can stop looking for the other six. Um, <laughs> lots and lots of stories of conversion, of the difference when Jesus breaks into lives in lots of different ways, some through the intellect, uh, some through personal tragedy, some through dating too many boys and a fanatical sister, some out of the occult, some out of other kinds of backgrounds. But all of us have our own road. But what I want us to do as we draw this together now is to understand one of the most surprising things about how God breaks into lives. 
And that is his preference unto human agency. Just, just for the recording, if you didn't pick that up, one of the younger members of the church said something like, da, 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 da. Da, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't you, was it, Danny? No. So, human agency. Because, I don't know about you, and I hear stories about, you know, Saw, you know, blinding light, disembodied voice. I just think, oh, God, could you do that a bit more, please? Like, insert name. It would be really helpful if you could do that for this person this week. An angel would do me nicely, you know, a glowing stranger, a dream, anything would be really helpful. And God does absolutely do that. But I just want you to... um, Notice as we uh, conclude this story that God uh, prefers to use human beings, to use, if you like, natural means as well as supernatural means. So uh, we'll pick up the story at verse 10. We won't stand up again because I don't want to, you know, anyone to pull anything. But uh, Acts 9, verse 10 to 19. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. So this is supernatural, right? Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. This is like GPS settings. For he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias Come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. You're sending me into a death trap. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The rest really is history. Isn't it extraordinary that God appeared supernaturally to Saul and blinded him, but then didn't kind of finish it off? And for three days, Saul's just there blind. And then God appears supernaturally to Ananias in a dream, but sends Ananias to a particular postcode. And there's something about Ananias needs to talk to him. Ananias needs to lay his hands on him. And I think it's a number of things here, but one of the dynamics is that God doesn't just want us to get have some mystical um, sort of 
unearthly set of experiences. He wants us to know what salvation means in terms of life and family and human interaction. And we are saved into churches again and again in the stories that you've heard today. It is the role of God's people. That, that, that wife leading her husband in Iran, who's a police officer, to Jesus. Them going out and handing out Bibles. Uh, um, Sammy's cousin inviting Sammy's sister to church at a bride's uh, made, uh, bri- what did we call it? One of those fitting things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is therefore both the thrilling opportunity we have and the great challenge we face to dare to speak up and to be Ananias and to uh, take some risks and to share our faith and to offer to pray. Romans 1 verse 16, the Apostle Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then elsewhere we are told, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Can I suggest there may be one or two of us here that need to be challenged by the gentleness and respect bit? But most of us are really, really good at the gentleness and respect and might perhaps need to be challenged by that constant preparedness, that posture of the heart that wakes up in the morning and says, God, would you give me an opportunity to talk about you today? That is looking in every situation, how do I share my faith? That when the restaurant manager says, how do you two know each other? You don't just cop out and go, oh, he's a mate from whatever, but you say, we're Christians. That we are trying to all the time, see if there is an opening here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's many ways of doing it. Uh, Clive and Ann Mather, who are wonderful members of this congregation, every Christmas they invite all their neighbours round to their house and they sing carols and Clive shares a bit of the good news in his home there. What is it that you can do to speak up for Jesus because the consequences can be extraordinary as you've heard and I, you know I don't have any science behind this but here's my hunch if you share your faith with 10 people maybe a third of them will laugh at you and be not interested and it'll be a bit hurtful and maybe you know two or three of them will, will be vaguely interested and you'll move them on on the journey it won't be dramatic it'll be just like me chatting to that restaurant owner two nights ago I think we might have made a little bit of progress but you know he hasn't become a follower of Jesus yet And probably one out of the ten is going to say, do you know what? Uh, This is absolutely what I need to hear. And I do think that for fear of the three who might mock us and laugh at us, we miss out on those we can help forward in their faith and maybe the one in ten who's ripe and ready to become a follower of Jesus. That's right, isn't it, Holly? That's your story, isn't it? Thank God uh, your your in-laws got you onto Alpha. And you met Jesus, and now you're sharing him everywhere you go. Thank God, looking at Jake, uh, the Lord broke into your life. And your dad was such a natural evangelist. All the people who worked for him and with him, he was always sharing his faith. Uh, This room is full of people who do that. Let's take every opportunity, can we? And so um, just as we come into land, it'd be great to get the, the, the band back on the stage. And 
I'd love us just to have a, a, a little bit of a moment here of responding, those of us who need to. I've been honest with you that I've been challenged, that I, I'd not been desiring to evangelize. I'd not been praying for opportunities. And frankly, I had been copping out. And I felt that what I was doing was just being nice. But the truth is, I wasn't leading very many people to Jesus anymore. And I, I believe the world is desperate for this message. Uh, it has to be done with gentleness and respect. But the sorts of things that have happened in Sammy's family life, it was a broken family that's now been healed by Jesus Christ. Uh, the sorts of things that we, 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 we've, we've heard about throughout this session, I believe the Lord wants to do in many, many more. And uh, I long for us to be baptizing more people. I long for more testimonies of this. I long for kids to grow up in families where Jesus is loved so they're protected from many of the very, very difficult things that can happen in this world. And so the gospel is not something to be ashamed of. So I don't know if there's anyone else like me who today just, it's a moment of going, do you know what? I have been a bit ashamed of the gospel. And I, 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 I've certainly not been taking opportunities to share my faith. I'm not going to become some crazy Bible basher, you know, just, just being inappropriate. But I am going to actively start to pray for opportunities, try and maybe even create some opportunities, and certainly take them when they come to share the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. And uh, I believe that uh, this is what the Spirit of God does. You know, we, we just studied, didn't we, a few weeks ago, the Spirit falling at Pentecost. Remember those frightened men became mighty evangelists when the Spirit of God came upon them. And think about Ananias. No matter how scary it might be to share your faith with your in-laws or your neighbor or your boss, I guarantee it's not quite as scary as Ananias being sent to Saul's house. He's heard the stories, but thank God he obeyed. And it may just be that the Lord is wanting to use you as the human agency for something truly supernatural to take place. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So, I really don't think this is everyone here. There are people in this auditorium, I, I know you are amazing sharing your faith and you really don't need to respond. Um, but I suspect there are others like me who are saying, do you know, I need to. And this is not like a, a guilt, shame moment. I want to invite you in a moment to stand if you're not just saying I have been a bit ashamed I haven't been taking opportunities but if you're making a decision through the power of the spirit to take opportunities and make opportunities in the coming week okay so this is not just a oh dear I failed this is a no I'm going to step up to the plate a bit more in terms of evangelism and sharing my faith so um I'm not going to ask, I'm going to shut our eyes, because it seems to me this is quite scary doing this out there in the real world. And here at church, where everyone's basically on our sides, if we can't stand up in front of a few Christians, we're going to struggle to do so at work. But those who are saying, yeah, that's me, just stand where you are, and I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to come and give you fresh courage and fresh opportunities. No one feel pressured to stand, please.
Lord Jesus, we long, not just for tens, but hundreds and thousands to encounter you. We long for so many people to come to know you in Guildford, that there are riots if necessary. We long for people to be set free from the occult. We long for broken families to be put back together again. We long for police officers to get saved. We long for people who are a million miles from you to encounter you. And so, Lord, we thank you that the gospel works today. But we ask that you would come, Holy Spirit, and fill us now with fresh courage and fresh confidence in the gospel. We confess that at times we have been ashamed of you, like Peter by the fire. We have denied you with our words or even by our silence. Lord, we confess that at times we've made an idol of sensitivity and process. And in the process, we have stopped being willing to upset anyone at all. And Lord, we ask that you would give us opportunities in this coming week and fresh faith. Let us be the human agencies of salvation in many lives. Lord, renew us, renew our perseverance in prayer, renew our faith, renew our confidence. And Lord, when not if some people reject us, some people mock us and scorn us, thank you, Lord, that we have done it for you. In Jesus' name, amen.